All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Subtitles on the only podcast about movies. And it's it's a podcast <laughs> Sorry. where we we, we, <laughs> we don't just, hey, man, I'm crushing today. <laughs> it's, this is the only podcast about movies. That I'm aware of. This is wow. a new format we've invented. I guess I'm not really that. I don't follow a lot of podcasts. A lot of them are true crime stuff. Interesting. You know? A lot of true crime. Yeah, they do that. And then there's sort of chat shows. But, <laughs> but this, this is one, the only one about movies. This one, we discuss movies. Interesting. Sir, sorry, you haven't been introduced yet. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. I've been getting I've been getting some flack for how I don't introduce my guests well <laughs> or give any of their credits or I acknowledge at all that they um or I have a career. So <laughs> uh we'll be recording some intros for Got the it. old episodes. And for you today, since you've Jumped interrupted right in. me, I'll stop. <laughs> I'm here with David Goodman, David A. Goodman, not to be confused. Uh, with David Z. Goodman. David Z. Goodman is, is another writer. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. Uh, and so he's the self-proclaimed king of the guild. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, that's that's going to go over great. He, he owns the Writers Guild. I um, own it, yeah. Yes. Own, own. yeah. It's 51%. It, it is a for-profit industry that you've created. 51% of the guild. I don't own the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, no, controlling a, state. Controlling so, state. yes, they need, without your vote, um, they can't do anything. The show is called Subtitles On. Uh, we don't just watch the movie. We read the movie, don't mm -hmm. we, David? And we read it because it was written. And who wrote it? A writer. And what are we? Other writers. <laughs> So um, I don't want to interrupt you. No, please. Now you're <laughs> no. here. Uh, David is on the negotiating committee of the WGA. He's been involved in the negotiations uh, that broke down and led to our current status as on strike. And we are uh, going to talk a little bit about this. First, David, let's say some of what you worked on. You, you, you've, you've been. Something wrong with your voice? <laughs> Not to me. Um, uh, you've worked on uh, shows for a long time. You started on the Golden Girls. I did. And yes. um, you ran Family Guy for a while. I did with Seth, yeah. Yeah. And you were with Seth yesterday on the picket line. Uh, that actually, that picture was from the 2007 strike. Old picture? Uh, yeah, Seth put that on to say, hey, great running into you on the picket line. Oh, and it's like it's a kind of, joke about it's how kind of old a bit. It was. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's I, I don't do them, like, but I, I know Great seeing you on the picket line yesterday, but it was a picture from 15 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, well, you both look so good. I, I look, couldn't tell. look exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. So, I, uh, like, but, uh, yeah, and I've... Uh, I've written for a lot of television shows. A lot of different shows, yeah. yeah, yeah. We don't have to go through all no, of them. No, like, yeah, we don't want but to do you, that. And, yeah, <laughs> and I'm happy to see, actually, that you weren't walking with Seth, because I'd be afraid that you two would start breaking stories for the Orville. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, that, and that would and, be scabbing. And that would be scabbing. And that would be scabbing. And, and we would not be doing work. that. We wouldn't be doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even yeah. If, we, if we're chatting about the Orville, it would just be, it's a good show we did. Yeah. Yes, it is. Maybe it'll come back. Talking Who about knows? old, old Or just work. like, maybe it comes back after the strike. Who knows? Yeah, we don't well, know. We're not talking about stories right now. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And that's and that's a good reminder for everyone. David is listening <laughs> and he will catch you. Um, <laughs> we're talking about Sunset Boulevard today, but before we get into the movie, I have a couple questions for you. One, you canceled therapy for this. 
Mm, I did. We had some scheduling <laughs> back and forth, and you did cancel your therapy. I did. Is there anything I can help you with? <laughs> Uh, he was actually able to reschedule it for later this afternoon, so I'll be fine. Okay, all uh, right. It'll but be, if there's something, it'll be pressing, a rickety you know, kind of rickety bridge to the afternoon. Maybe uh, I can soften the ground before you go in, <laughs> so that he can really, you know, do uh, the major work. I uh, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, you know, I, I have to offer. So, do you want to give me, since you're like one of the people with the most information, sort of? We've been talking about the strike in these episodes, where do you see us as like being at right now? You know, not that you're the official spokesperson for anything, right. but like what's our status? Like, um, and what do you, do you have any sort of like speculation right. on where we're going? I think the, obviously the biggest news was SAG coming out on strike on, on Friday. And that I think was good news for the writers who've, who've been out and, uh, on the line, been on strike. The studios had had a, a strategy, which was we're going to negotiate with the other unions first while the while the guild is out. Mm -hmm. And the the purpose of that was to, to try to cut us. Yeah, to try to weaken us. And the idea that SAG as a union decided uh, the companies weren't getting near what they needed helps bolster our case. Like we're not the one crazy union and. I think that which has uh, been the reputation of the right guild. and and that and the only reason that matters honestly is among our own members that when you're involved in any kind of la labor struggle the solidarity of your membership is the really the only thing that matters is making mm -hmm. sure that your members are in the fight and understanding the issues and for them and it, what has happened historically with the guild is that sections of our union lose faith and say, I, I don't trust the leadership. I don't trust that this fight is worth it or that we're going to win. Well, when and, they successfully negotiate with the other unions, the messaging does become, well, everyone else seems to know how to make a deal. Right. Like, why right. are we right. the only ones yeah. who like, either we're being unreasonable or we don't have the negotiating tools that are necessary? Right. Like that becomes part of the story. Exactly. And I think that in a, a sort of rare moment in history yeah. now that SAG has joined us, who, by the way, has, you know, 15 times the membership um, and is much harder, I think, to get a consensus out of right. because there's with that many people, it's like it's just harder to get the messaging and everything unified. It now looks like we aren't alone. We aren't the crazy ones. And do you well, have an opinion yeah. on how this looks for the director's guild <laughs> i don't i I, yeah. I i the the director's guild made the deal that they felt was good for their membership yeah and i you know and and uh, it got voted up you know it got a strong positive vote from their membership Instant. All, yeah all their all that matters with within your own union is how does your union feel about your deal yeah. that union feels good about their deal i think that as far as i could see from yeah. what i what the the thing that is important is among writers and actors now it is now very clear that the companies are the ones being unreasonable being unreasonable yeah and we had obviously the you know the director's guilds in a different scenario because there were very writer specific issues right. that we were exactly. negotiating right. for uh stuff like room size stuff yes. like, you know 
And the actors have the same thing where like AI is such an existential threat for them. The idea that you could take someone's voice likeness and just generate kind of whatever content you want out of it is crazy. Um, So I think it is a different position. Do you think, well, I'll say two things about SAG being on strike as well. One is I was sort of surprised because we talk about on this show a lot, like, Nobody gives a fuck about the writers. Like when the writers go on strike, it's like those assholes. But but in general, right. the people in these positions of power, yeah. even if they don't care about a particular writer right. or the writers, they are, and I say this with love, <laughs> star fuckers. Like that's part of how you get like right. a high ranking uh-huh. job right. in Hollywood right. is like wanting to foster relationships with famous celebrities and actors. And so it was surprising to me that essentially a group of professional star fuckers couldn't make a deal with the stars. (laughs) Like you, I think you would be listening to them better. That surprised me. It's not quite, it's not quite how I look at it. Okay. (laughs) But I'm just like, they care more about like, it's like Brad Pitt doesn't want to come to your pool party anymore. That is a bigger deal than, David Goodman doesn't want to come right. to your pool no, party. Well, there's no, tr- no, the, no question about that. But, yeah. the, but the issue that, that happened that they really weren't connected to was how much the rank and file of that union has been suffering, not, yes. just, not just having difficulty, suffering. Yeah. And yeah, there's a, a 1% who are doing just fine, and the same thing in our union. Yeah. There's a top 1% doing just fine, doing great. Yeah. And those are the people that sometimes hang around with the studio execs. Like I, I've heard from uh, before the strike, you you hear uh, studio execs uh, commenting on Taylor Sheridan. He's doing fine. Why? What's the problem? It's like, yeah. well, yeah, he's doing fine. Yeah. He's when doing- I go to dinner with Ryan Murphy, he actually says that he's very well compensated. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, but the and they are. Yes. Uh, but. The, the, there's the rest of the union that is uh, doing this work that these companies are profiting from. And it's like, we, we can't even afford to live in the city where we work. I mean, it, it, it's a common problem in labor across the country, but in a business that where uh, CEOs make, make all this money, these companies make enormous profits, we should be able to survive. Well, and, yeah, the, well, and, the, yeah, you mentioned that it's a common problem and it's yeah. like the hotel workers yeah, being exactly, on strike. Right. And like, I've always heard that, like, you know, whatever, if you go to a nice restaurant in Los Angeles, it's like nobody who is working in the kitchen or anything lives, lives anywhere near, near you. Near, like they, right. they are driving, yeah. you know, an hour and a half to right. go do like a busboy right. ship right. like that. Um, bus person Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, um, but uh uh, that has been something that is known for a long time and something that is maybe gross to say out loud is i did think of working in the entertainment industry when you do actually get the job in there as like well, this is one of the fancy jobs yes. where you have a lot right. of perks. Yeah. And, and then it's like when those people are also like, I can't, you know, I got to be in like West Covina right. or like, and then like <laughs> ship in for auditions right. so that I can even try to get my foot in the door at all. Right. It's like, you're really strangling the economy of the city. And and then it's also like, it, it, you know, even you you get your foot in the door 
but it, the door doesn't stay open. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, that's the other. There's another door. There's behind a, it. another door. I don't know. About <laughs> the, I don't know about this metaphor. Uh, but each door. Yeah. It's, there's it's so, and the then door needs a, two feet. Yeah. You, but uh, <laughs> you want to be able to close the door behind you. Well, no, that's barefoot. not what you want. You get do. your foot in the door, but then it's like you don't have shoes on. <laughs> It's, it's something. It's We're gonna find foot. it. We're gonna find the it. The bones of your foot but are shooting. I don't out. want. It. I should. There. <laughs> it's a steel I, door. You're in I, Tevas. I am regretting. <laughs> I am regretting. Yes, ending this bit. <laughs> but we're trying to teach. Um, we're trying to teach you this. Yeah, yeah. So I do want to talk also before we get to the wonderful movie that I had never seen last week on the show or two weeks ago or whatever, I had someone ask me because we were watching a movie where a writer took like essentially a meeting, a general meeting. They said, what was the best meeting you've ever been on and the worst meeting you've ever been on it? I said that the best meeting I felt I had been on, like the most successful, like walk into a room and do well meeting was in fact, with you when I oh, interviewed wow. for Alan Gregory. It, um, it and so I did want to ask you on, you know, your side of it because, because yeah. that, that was my answer. I said, right. you know, we walked out of that room <laughs> and David Goodman, who was the show owner, walked us to the elevator was like, you guys fucked that one up. No way you get that job. <laughs> and that you had told us later that you didn't like our script yes. and we're not looking right. forward to the meeting. <laughs> You guys came in, and I don't remember the specific jokes you made, but you just completely, both of you, and, and this was the, your chemistry on the writing staff as well, you played off each other. It was brilliant, and I, I couldn't stop laughing. I was like crying laughing, and that never happens in a, mm -hmm. in a, in a job interview. I felt very bad for the next people who came in because <laughs> it really was kind of funny. I don't remember them. I do remember thinking, remembering your this meeting. This sucks for them, yeah. You, you remembering your meeting. Yeah, remembering how hard I was living. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> and then I feel like I had a conversation with the workaholics guys mm -hmm. who, who didn't love your script either. And mm -hmm. I said, no, you have to meet with these guys. Yeah, <laughs> that was Kevin Atten. And, like, uh, yeah, they asked for a yeah, second script. Yeah, yeah. Look, <laughs> what I'll say about that script is I don't use it anymore. That's probably well, it's worked it twice. Got me going. It's worked twice as a, well, as a and, point. Well, of and Comedy Central tried to buy it. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. All right. They offered me fifteen thousand dollars. Fifteen thousand <laughs> You you would be set. You would be set right I'd now. I'd be forget it, man. Yeah. Weren't willing to lock us as actors yeah. and uh we're not willing to commit to any more money. Um uh but but you know that's a writer's story. We we got we were working on workaholics. They offered us this deal that was right. probably the worst deal I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Dominic and I didn't have the same agent, didn't have the same manager. <laughs> so we had four different entities who all were like, This is the worst deal I've ever seen. <laughs> we then said no then because we worked for workaholics we were at a table read the following mm -hmm. week with all of the executives they asked us to stay in the room of the table read the conference room everyone else left and it was just us alone with the executives and they went like what are you guys doing you're fucking up like you know the fucking deal like you think these guys got a huge contract the first time no it's like you play ball a little bit creatively you have more freedom here and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're the workaholics <laughs> and we were like <laughs> and i wish i had said like 
we have five professional deal looker adders <laughs> who are like, this who is are terrible. like, this is I've terrible. never seen something this That's bad. bad. That's but we just were like, yeah, okay, well, we'll think about it. But just like we were trying to be polite, but it was, um, it was an interesting like. They really were gonna try right. to grind us down yeah, yeah, to yeah. like a very bad situation, and if we did not have representation Keep, right, that right. like was right. was willing to tell us, you know, yeah, yeah, then yeah. we would have probably just been like, okay, I guess that's what happens, <laughs> and I'd be a famous TV star now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what we're talking about now, <laughs> dude. Look, we're talking about Sunset Boulevard. Oh, okay, good. So first, let's let's talk about the writer. So I had never. I had never seen this movie, and I'm ashamed to admit this is part of why I should not host a podcast about movies. But no one had done <laughs> no, it. No one does. So who told you? That so you it's could like do it? there's probably someone more qualified than yeah. me. But maybe this will inspire them. Uh, yeah. And this may be the podcast that gets us to the podcast. Uh, uh, interesting <laughs> about movies. Um, <laughs> I had never seen uh, any of his stuff. You'd never seen anything by Billy Wilder? I had not seen a Billy Wilder movie. I think I watched some like it hot on TV when uh -huh. I was like nine, and yeah. I don't remember it. Yeah. Um, but I had not seen, uh, and it's all, it's all stuff that is in genres sure. I enjoy. It's right. like comedy and noir and, right. and, and all these things. But I just, I was supposed to do this episode originally with, uh, a famous comedy couple, Dave hmm. King and, um, little Esther Pavitsky, because she told me it was her favorite movie of all time. And I was going to bring them in and Dave actually had a, a tweet years ago mm -hmm. that stuck in my head where he said, no one who's like top film list includes a movie before 1975 actually enjoys watching that movie more than like <laughs> the recent Ocean's right. Eleven remake. Right, right, right. Like just as an right, example, right. like example. these like movies are better. They're right. more entertaining. Yeah, right. <laughs> we figured it out. Yeah. And I think I, to be a contrarian was like, but what about The Hustler? Or like right, I named right. some old movie that yeah. I was like, I love this movie. And he was like, yeah, I'm just fucking talking. But, <laughs> but tweet. I did have that kind of feeling like about, with older movies right. and black and white movies yeah. that I was like, yeah, I know they're good. I know they're important. But yeah. like, I'm only going to watch so many movies. Yeah. I'd kind of rather watch like some random yeah. 90s thriller I missed or something. And so, and part of my feeling about that was when I do watch movies that set the mold right. for the kind of thing I enjoy, yeah. I feel that I sometimes have to remind myself during the movie, sure. like they were doing this first. Right. Like, so I see something and I'm like, this feels a little hacky yeah. or like, this is tired. This is too easy. It's like, but they invented this. And now I enjoy all right. these people who have innovated on it. Yeah. And what I will say now, having watched this movie is, I need to watch Billy Wilder's other <laughs> stuff because I didn't feel that way. Yeah. Like, even though I had an awareness of like this sort of noir 50s yeah. patois thing that they were doing uh, that I've seen so many people pay homage to it or parody it, right. seeing the original version did not feel tired. I was like, I love this. Like, it's so well handled. I, I, and I, I will like say that, that Sunset Boulevard is special. Yes. Uh, because... Uh, so I, I can't watch some Billy Wilder's other movies. Like I, I don't like The Apartment. I don't like some like it hot. Oh like, really? Oh, like, interesting. Like, <laughs> now, oh wow. So you have to you have to pick and choose. Yeah. Uh, some of the stuff that uh, there Double might be, Indemnity. I like Double Indemnity because I want to see that. But yeah. Double Indemnity to me is that thing you were talking about. It it invents 
sort of that film noir thing. And it's, it's very, I think it's very entertaining. Like, I think it's a yeah. very entertaining movie. So I don't, I don't have the same problem that I have with some of his comedies, which I just don't think for me, I, I'm not, it's not, not as funny as some of your shit. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is, it's not as funny as your job interview. Right. Uh, that that's what that's the the bar. Okay. But I I think Double Indemnity. There's probably um, others that I think are are entertaining movies. But Sunset Boulevard to me is that rare piece of art that came out of Hollywood. And mm-hmm. I hadn't really done even much research about how the movie got made. But I I've read it on I read somewhere on the internet the other day that only a third of the script was finished when they started filming. Well, this was really interesting to me. And I did want to talk about this because we do talk a little bit about like the way writers are represented in the movies and how the industry has changed since this happened. And sometimes how it's changed since the making of it. So like when I did adaptation with Hayes, it was like, you can't really be Charlie Kaufman anymore. Like you can't just like write a cool inventive script and have people be like, all right, here's the keys. Yeah. That seems to have changed. But what I did find was Billy Wilder, who at the time that he's making this is very established. He's done Double Indemnity, yeah. which is a big hit. Yeah. He's done Nanachka, or right. like he's done these other uh, movies to where he's an important figure. And yet they were hiding stuff about the movie. Yeah. They were not willing to show a whole script because they were afraid the production code would shut them down. They did not have the creative freedom to just do what they wanted, even though they were proven moneymakers. And the thing I loved is, I guess they were pretending it was based on a short story that they made up to get more creative freedom, which is is like still what happens. Still what happens. IP. What's the IP? People, Yeah, people (laughs) say like, if you have an idea for a movie that you don't think the premise would get greenlit, like try to get like a short fiction right. piece published so that then you can say well it's based on source material because you get a lot more freedom that to was go like such well, a shocking thing to read i read that too that like, they did it that they did it too but they didn't yeah. the short story didn't even exist they were just like it's based on the short story yeah. nobody checked i mean the benefit of no internet like people I, were like, I guess so no one wanted to yeah, look so. stupid and go like who oh, is yeah. that i don't know I, that I author know that they were all. like right yes that's that also hasn't changed. The best killer, like, killer <laughs> that, short that story. Also, that also hasn't changed. But also just, uh, you know, him going after Hollywood. Like, that's the other thing, too. Like, it really is, like, this view of Hollywood that's so seedy. Very and, cynical, and very cynical. jaded, yeah. like, very uh, much, right, right. you know, so many references to, like, if you want to make money, right. you can't believe in the art at yeah, all. Like right. there's, that's such a like big piece of it. Yeah. Um, and that it basically destroys people like right. success and failure, both completely destroy people. <laughs> right. Well, that the, that the town, yeah, the town destroys these people. Like, yeah. the, you know, and that, and just that desire chasing, uh, approval. Like it feels like that's a big part of this movie too. Like, yes. you know, she wants approval, of him when he's he's reading her script and yes and he he's wanting that too because he wants money i mean it's all it's very real it's very good that's a good intro because i want to talk about that scene where he reads her script and everything but i'll say so the opening of the movie is uh we meet our hero our (laughs) our main guy the writer Gillis, Joe Gillis. Joe Gillis. And he is floating face down in a pool. And and so there's a narrator. You don't realize the narrator is the dead body at first, but they're saying, um, you know, this, uh, we see this guy, he's been shot. 
uh, got shot three times. And then it says, um, uh, who's he? Nobody important, really. Just a movie writer. That poor dope. He always wanted a pool. Well, now he's got one. <laughs> it's like, it's like such a great summation of everything. It's like, this is not an important person because they are a writer. <laughs> and like, couple of writers are such fucking losers. They, like, they want a pool. It's like, you want a pool? Like, here right. it is. Fucking yeah. drown in it. Like, <laughs> and, and I felt like narratively, I mean, again, I, I wish I was a little bit better at, at at having done some research about it, but the idea of a of a movie being narrated by 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 uh, the victim by of the, the murder yeah, right. and seeing the murder first. I thing. feel like that had to have been like one of, if not the first time, the one of the first times. Structurally, yes, they yeah. were they were doing something. I'm sure that right. felt very new. And yeah. again, it was like, you know, the the production code stuff. It seems like a lot of his movies, right? He was going in with with a partial script or something because yeah. it would be like, I think Double Indemnity too. Like adultery is central yes. to the plot, and right. you weren't allowed to show that on yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah, and right. so there was stuff like that that I think they would hide. And yeah, having it be that this guy's been murdered, but he's narrating it, and you already right. know that he dies at the yeah. end at the beginning of the movie, yeah, but yeah. you're still watching how it happened and right. care is really. Uh, I, I'm. It feels like it had to be innovative yeah. because it's still yeah. like very tough to pull off. Yeah, I, the fact that you're watching the movie and you know he he dies, and yet it it doesn't affect your enjoyment of the movie at all. You're you're no. completely in it. Like you're completely in what's going to happen with this guy. And yeah, and, how do we get there? Yeah, yeah. Right. um, uh, it's really cool. And then he has a great line early on about where he's justifying the fact that he is an unsuccessful writer. So we then flash right. back to earlier than the than yeah. the murder and we see him living in his like kind of crummy one bedroom apartment right. and he says that he's just been grinding out original stories yeah. trying to get a sale and then he has the line maybe they weren't original enough maybe they were too original. <laughs> All I know is they didn't sell. <laughs> This is what I tell myself as well. <laughs> I, that's so true. It's, it's either like a... you go like, because you get told like, yeah. we have something similar in development. Right. We've seen this before. Yeah. Or it's like, ah, this is a big swing. This is a little out there. We don't yeah, know yeah. if audiences will go for it. Yeah. And so you are always trying to skate this line of like, I want to do something that is the kind of thing that is popular right. that gets made, but it has to feel unique and yeah. like it's your own voice. Right. And I think also though, what I liked about that line too, is it speaks to the writer insecurity and, and justification for failure, yeah. which is, uh, that, you know, that idea, well, th this was too original. This was too, you know, the writer who tells him himself that, uh, well, it was just, it was too far ahead of its time. That's why it didn't sell like that. Yes. That, that I felt like was a piece of that line too. Yes. No, you have to have a reason that is not the quality of your work yes. that you can fall back on. Of like, and, this is why this didn't go. Right. And I think that, I mean, it sort of, I mean, I might be jumping ahead, but I think I have a theory about this movie <laughs> that I feel like was confirmed watching in the end is this guy is not a good writer. Like, like I really think that the, the, the authors of this movie don't think very much of Joe Gillis as a writer. That's interesting, and we because we covered Barton Fink recently, yeah. and the Coen brothers yes. said that about him. They were like, he's not a good writer. He's not like, a good that's writer. part of the story yeah. that is never explicitly stated. Yes, I think it's true of Joe. And I have evidence to support this later, but 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 I yeah. was sort of surprised watching it again. Like 
I went into it this time thinking is with that I'm like, oh yeah, no, he he's not good. You have an assumption when you meet someone yeah. who's kind of struggling yeah. in this field early on, like that you are rooting for someone who hasn't been recognized yet. Yes. There's an untapped talent right. there right. and you're supposed to be on their side. It's like this town's too stupid right. to realize this creative person, yeah. you know, has the goods and that like the industry is unfair, which is um, certainly how I feel. Uh, <laughs> but I think that, well, I think, yeah, I think too that like the, there's also evidence that there are people in the movie who, who caught, so I heard you were talented or, yeah, I heard yeah, you, yeah, were, yeah. you know, and it's, they heard he was talented because he got a couple of movies made. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, that's, I'll skip all the way to this. Yeah. Is my wish I wrote it line. Right. This was my favorite line oh, yeah. when um, he meets this, this reader at the studio who in front of him without realizing who he is, trashes his film treatment right. that he's there to ask about and says that it sucks. And then he introduces himself and she kind of confused about what she read versus what she's seeing. And she goes, oh, I had heard you had some talent. And he says, that was last year. This year I'm trying to make a living. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was like a really good summation of some of what, what we've already talked about with right. the industry where it's like there's a separation between like quality and and commerce or yeah, whatever right. where it's like to um really be like I'm an artist and this is my vision and this oh. is the way I see it feels like that is not a path to financial success right. a lot of the time and so sometimes when people their stuff isn't working out. It's like, well, I'm going to sell out. Right. But then like in his case and, and in many writers cases, it's like, well, you can't even do that. <laughs> like like that wasn't the issue. And the first thing that the first quarter of this movie, and that line is part of it too, that, mm -hmm. that it captures that desperation. Yes. Like it really, that that's so true in this movie, watching this first uh, quarter of the movie where he's losing everything he's he's going to people trying yeah. to get money all the the desperation it's still so true in this business that feeling of like if i could just get one more job i can yes. I'll, I'll be okay i'll be okay yeah and i'll that go in a little lead, bit of that'll debt. be the I'll domino go, that like yeah. knocks down everything yeah right and and yep. he also the desperation you meet him he's in his bathrobe in his apartment in the middle of the day yeah <laughs> And he's talking about, and it's a runner in the movie, like, he just needs to hang on to his car. Yeah. Like, it's his car. Yeah. And it's such an L.A. It's thing, an LA right, thing, that's right. still true. Right. Wouldn't, you know, you right. can't set that in New York. Yeah. It's like, if he loses his fucking car, that's his it. life is over. Like, that's the <laughs> right. last thing. Like, people yeah, are right. there to repossess his car. Yeah, yeah. And um, that is, like, what he's dealing with. And then before... He goes in to meet with the producer and and meets that reader. Uh, he describes him, Sheldrake. This is his guy who is willing to champion his bad material yes, right. to other people in the business right. uh, who can get things made or give him a job. And he says that Sheldrake was a smart producer with the set of ulcers to prove it, <laughs> <laughs> which is a great, yeah. like we've talked about before um, in the TV set, they invoke like, this was a good executive. Like right. this is one of the smart executives. Right, right. And when you meet a producer uh, or an executive who really likes you yeah. and likes your stuff, right. they will not be working at that company within a year. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's, that's happened to me a number of times. They will yeah. be, and they will be suffering. <laughs> Everyone like who they answer right. to will be like, 
What are you doing? I, I remember there was a, this my one of my Joe Gillis periods, and I've had several of them of that desperation. Mm-hmm. Finally, finally, my agent gets me this meeting with this independent company uh, that was putting together its money, and I I could not get a job. Could not. I couldn't get hired. I have this meeting with this young guy. And he's like, I've read all your stuff. You're so good. We have we have our own little development money, uh, and we're talking about some idea. It was really looking good. Okay, this is it. This is this is going to get me over the hump. We'll we'll be back in touch uh, next week. So I'm like feeling better. I go home tell my wife, blah blah blah. You know, oh, this was great. This is such a great meeting. I've never had one like this. A week goes by. Don't hear anything. I call my agent. I said, "Can you check in and see what's happening?" We see, and then my agent calls me back, and he died. <laughs> this young guy died. Now I hate to make it all about me, but sure. I, it was. Uh, but it was like, it was like, I'm like, what? Yeah, he. Died. It was. It was so such a sad. But it's like, mm-hmm. I I just can't catch a break. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Your only fan died. <laughs> that was like really like, but that desperation, I really do. Watching this part of the movie, I all those sort of flashbacks of that desperation yeah. and how that desperation feeds itself and makes things worse. Like you can't get a job when you're that desperate. No yes. one is going to lend you money when you're that desperate. Like that's the. Yes. That's you. The, you. It's like the people who continue getting the work are the people who don't need it because right. they don't care if they get it. Right. So they right. walk in like, right. you need me more than I need you. Yeah, and then right. people go like, oh my God, I need right. you. Right. And like that, <laughs> that is the attitude that breeds work. And so it is this like self-fulfilling prophecy right. or right. whatever, like right. self-perpetuating thing where the more you need the job, the less likely yeah. you are to get it. And the less you need it, they'll just give it to you. Like right. just call you, and that and the other thing too, like in that scene with the producer where he's pitched, like this sort of goes to my evidence that, that Joe Gill's not a bad writer. He pitches a terrible movie, like it's it's like the the producer figures it out, yeah. like right away. But I got a really good gimmick at the end, yeah. And then he starts like pitching casting, like you know what you see Ty Power is the shortstop. Part of my feeling though <laughs> was when he was doing that, I was like, this guy is better at. Uh, this kind of thing than I am. Like he walks in, he's like, okay, you, he like names a star that they have under contract and is like, that's kind of the fit that I see. But 20th is kind of barking it. You know, they, they want this, but I don't know if Ty Power can pull it off. And he is like working and manipulating kind of like dangling the idea of like, this could be good for you with someone, your bosses and someone you already deal with. And here's where I'll go instead. And there's an awareness of, the industry and the internal workings of these companies right, that right. I, I still probably don't have. <laughs> so I was like, oh, he's got more of a hustle to him right. than I do. <laughs> Although I do thought, I did think there was sort of this, the way the producer's reacting, it's like, it's, he's not buying any of it. He's not mm, buying any of the hustle. No, he's like, yeah, he's it, being polite. Yeah. Um, but I'll say, uh, oh, the other thing that the reader says that I think is like very important is she... She sniffs out the that the script yeah. is or the idea for the script is bad. And she says, like, there's nothing to it. Like, it's just like basically right. a story we've seen. And she's like, there's nothing underneath. And goes, 
you're one of these message kids, huh? Right. <laughs> he's like, a story's not good enough for you. Again, this conversation yeah. is still happening, uh, still happening now where still it's happening. like, well, there's nothing. It's not saying anything yeah, about right. society. And it's like, no, but it's a fun movie, you know, like, and you ha you yeah, end up I, on either side of this right, all right. the time. I just think a picture should say a little something is what she says. Yes, yeah, right. And there's like a shot of her alone saying that you feel like, they are setting up that argument. Yes. That, that in some way. Yeah. yeah. And this is, and it's like, and of course you can have both because this has a lot to say. And yeah. It's, and right. it's a great, it's great a great movie. genre story. So then uh, you talked about him being desperate, going to um, try to get money. Uh, he goes to his agent, <laughs> who I know you were tickled by the agent is on the golf course. Well, that, He's the idea, well to do. The idea that the agent is doing so much better than him, uh -huh. which is still such a thing. In our right. business, I mean, that the so many of the agents live live a great life and do really well, and they can be representing people who don't make nearly what they make. But do you not think that the agents are in a similar position in some ways to the way you described both of the guilds, where there is a top one percent that is the most visible? That mm -hmm. there are like there's like partners at right. the big agencies yes. who are crushing it and that's who you know of right. and that's who we deal with because we got big agents <laughs> um uh but that there is that there is actually like right. a huge faction of people who have that job i mean i guess i guess, I guess so i guess so i i, I don't I the entry that, level you yeah, know ed it's, entry level it's not being an it's right. not being uh right. it's not the same as being right. an artist where you get yeah. one job and you might right. just like never work again and right. keep chasing right. that like and not know where it's coming from yeah yeah but uh i just need to defend reps on this show <laughs> i'm married to a rep oh, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh but i will say i certainly as a struggling writer viewed right. my agents as being right. rich and he sees it that way right. and they probably were um i really related to the scene where he tries to borrow $300 from his agent. <laughs> so I will tell this story. I, uh, when I got Alan Gregory, which you were the showrunner of, which I had the good meeting on, even though I'm not a good writer, I guess. Um, uh, <laughs> um, there's no proof that you're a good writer. There was no, yes, it was, yes, <laughs> it was all speculation. All speculation. Um, so I had moved to LA in, july of 2009 mm -hmm. on a week-to-week -week contract for an mtv sketch show <laughs> that job was over in september of 2009 and i met with you in november of 2010 i think for that job because the job started like mm -hmm. right before christmas or something right. and in between september of 09 and december or uh december when we started the job in 2010 i did not work i right. was i was teaching improv i was teaching sketch i was like going i was auditioning i was doing so that whole period i was living like joe gillis <laughs> in like a a studio apartment right. that i could hardly afford and you know like couldn't you know getting a parking ticket was right. like destroying my life <laughs> and accumulating debt and when I got that job, I was walking out of teaching uh, improv. I, I had a one-on-one improv class that I was teaching. And I got to my car in the parking lot and my phone rang and it was my agent. And he said, you got the job. And I started crying in the parking lot. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh my God, I can quit teaching this improv class. <laughs> <laughs> so I like, I 
found someone to cover the rest of the class and right. I and I stopped doing those things that had been my income. Right. And then I started work. And what I didn't know is that you don't get your first paycheck yeah. for like two months. Like that was, I think, <laughs> right. eight weeks yeah. that I was working before we started getting right. paid. And so then I had like, had accumulated some debt, no longer had money coming right. in and wasn't being paid for this job that like meant that I had made it. <laughs> and so I got to a point where I like was calling my agent going like, when does the money come? Like, yeah. when do we right. start? And he was like, oh, they got to put you in the system. And I was like, they don't have a process for this. <laughs> yeah, like, you would think. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm fucked. And I basically right. was like, I, I, I can't pay my rent. Right. Like I cannot pay my rent this month. And he gave me a personal check for one thousand dollars wow and it made me stay with him that, that for a long time <laughs> <laughs> um and, and then to talk also about the guild and part of what we what the strike is about and and um and what wages are for these rich spoiled writers right, who get right. to work in hollywood <laughs> i was part of a writing team yeah. which means that we each got 50 percent of the paycheck that right. we got and uh, I believe the guild minimum at that time was in the neighborhood of $3,500 mm -hmm. for a week. Sounds right. So that became $1,700 for me. Mm -hmm. And then 10% to an agent and 10% to a manager and then a third to taxes. Right. And at the end of all of it, I think I got $850 right. the first week that I finally got a paycheck. Right. And then my agent was like, can I get my $1,000 back? <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> I was like, can you cool it, dude? <laughs> because I was like, you're rich. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. He was yeah. like, I don't want, you know, uh, I don't want. <laughs> just out there. You're, you're, At you're some point, he was like, I don't know if you're going to get another job. Yeah, this might be so it. So like, this yeah, I got you one. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, just to say, um, I, uh, I connected to, to that, that moment and I actually did borrow money from my agent who I thought was very rich. Um, and because I had a job, unlike Joe Gillis, yeah. he gave it to me. That's right. But he, he needed to know it was coming it was in. Coming back if, it, and... <laughs> if it had been like, I think I'm going to get a job, yeah. it would have been a different conversation. Uh, yeah, he might not have. Um, that, the other piece, like when he f figures out he's on the payphone trying to find his agent, he says, "Was it?" he says this thing, was he out digging up a job for Joe Gillis? No, he was out on the golf course. Uh -huh. And again, that was like, that's such an experience I think that writers still have of like, is my agent out looking for a job for me? And I remember, I re remember this situation where, again, I was in this difficult period, I think, and uh, and I was following. It's it's actually not that long ago. I was following, uh, waiting for my agent to get news about something. Maybe it was a deal or something. And and I had to stop following him on Instagram because I would see him at like the ball game and see him like, and I'm like, why aren't you getting me a job? And like, right. But, and also like, what would that look like? He's just on the phone uh, constantly. I, just like, but, but it was like, I can't was, go to the baseball game. David Goodman needs a, but it was, a staff position. It was literally <laughs> what my, I recognized was my problem. Yes, of course. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to stop following him on Instagram and I'll feel better. Yeah. Uh, but you do always <laughs> feel like there's a lot of times when you're waiting for news or something right. and you call your agent yeah. and then it's like, like it's like okay well they're in a meeting but they'll get back to you and yeah. it's like you don't hear back for like two days yeah and you're like what is going on for two days <laughs> that i can't get a phone call back and then you get the phone call back and they're right. like yeah we haven't heard anything and yeah like okay well i guess this wasn't urgent <laughs> and that was the other great line is at the end of that scene with the agent we haven't even gotten the glorious once yet we probably no should. we will i'm gonna see it. the big house but but, but the agent 
the agent threatens to drop him at the end of the at the end of the scene. And it's like he won't lend him money. He hasn't gotten him a job, but still Joe Gillis does not want to lose his agent. Like, yes. like, what is this guy providing for him? And yet that also was very true. Well, because if you have an agent, <laughs> yes. you, you have... can see the path. Like yeah. it, you, it legitimizes <laughs> right. you yes. in a way. Totally. Like I remember just wanting a rep so yeah. bad and people right. want it. They want the agent before they have the job. Yeah. And it's one of those catch 22s where it's like, you need a job for an agent to want you or whatever. Right. But you do go like, at least I can tell people that I have an agent. So they feel like I'm like, I'm not just saying I'm yes, a writer. Right, right. Someone in the industry agrees that I am right, a writer. Right. So, like, yeah, of course, he's desperate to hang desperate on to, to it. Yeah. Even though, and yes, I, I think a lot of people have had this experience where it's like my rep doesn't do anything right. like that I can see, or yeah. like they haven't gotten me any work and they don't return my calls. Yeah. And yet I'll fucking die to keep them because <laughs> like it's the only thing mentally right. that yeah, I yeah. can hang on to yeah, that yeah. says I'm real. Yeah. So here. He um, gets a flat tire, pulls over his car. He hides his car in a big driveway. A little convenient. Um, <laughs> sees this big house that he thinks is abandoned. And this is another writer moment. He sees the house and it reminds him of Miss Havisham's yeah. house in Great Expectations. And isn't that what we're all like, David, that everything we see reminds <laughs> us of some Dickens character? <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're all so smart and so... <laughs> You know, I see Chef Kevin over here and he's like Pip. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oliver Twist, Casey is at the at the controls, and you're of course the Who am I? The guy who says vittles a lot and wants you to keep your fingernails clean. (laughs) (laughs) I've never read any Dickens, so no, I read Great Expectations. Great Expectations is the one. It's the like convict that he meets. Um, uh, and he t- turns out to be something of a mentor. Yeah. He? Well, isn't he the one also who left Miss Havisham at the altar? Isn't that one? Um, the twist uh, at the end of the book? I don't know. I don't know. I've been mean, <laughs> read it a long time ago. So then, so, <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, the next, like he goes in, he ends up meeting this like weird butler, uh, Max. And then he, um, gets introduced to, Gloria Swanson, who's playing Norma Desmond. She's like this old screen icon who um, was very famous and very successful, uh, you know, in the 20s or whatever. And now she's been out of the business and she complains about um, sound being introduced to the movies, which was also a real thing where Gloria Swanson was a famous a famous silent film star who then really didn't made a couple of pictures with sound, but then didn't do anymore. And they say, you know, shared some other DNA with Norma Desmond and being sort of a dramatic over the top person. Um, And so they're, they're infusing a lot of real life stuff here, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. But the thing I want to bring up is when she says, you're a writer, aren't you? That's what it says on my guild card. That's what it says on my guild card. And you must have been hooting and hollering at the screen, flipping the fuck out I, in your living room. Can we get a taste of, 
of what that was like for you, David, where I, you were uh, melting down. Because they're referencing Honey, the writers. Wendy, <laughs> get in here. Uh, they're talking about the guild. They're talking about the guild. It, it just happened. Is there any way to rewind this? <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I don't know. I can't figure. Uh, but uh, no, I I lo- I really do actually love Eddie mentioning of, of the course. writers guild in a movie. Yeah. Uh, it's always what it's what it says on my guild card. And yeah. it's but later it's references the screenwriters guild. Uh-huh. Which uh uh well we could talk about the history SWG. of the guild. Um <laughs> the screenwriter there were there were two writers guilds. Mm-hmm. Uh there was the screenwriters guild in the west which was mostly movie writers and then in the east and that's what is now writers guild he started as radio and then television writers. Right. Uh and now and obviously now the film were, business wasn't in New York. The film business yeah. was in New York and and then uh radio really was based in New York and then television was really started in New York. Mm-hmm. Um and uh now obviously there's that it's it's changed completely but it's cut I, I do actually sort of love re- hearing the guild reference. Cut this part. Uh <laughs> When did they merge? I, I no, I'm not oh. going to keep talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> moving on that's interesting all right it's not <laughs> that's that your catchphrase okay <laughs> um so now i have a specific question for you yeah which is um he says they they ask him about the you know the movies that he's written he's like do you want my credits and yeah. he says the last one i wrote was about okies in the dust bowl by the time it reached the screen the whole thing played out on a torpedo boat which is also part of my evidence that he's a bad writer right that he's <laughs> yeah that they're changing him but i was i was curious what's the biggest change you've had a project undergo? Like, has there there ever been something you were developing that by the time it got through the gauntlet, it was just a completely different idea? No. (laughs) Like, I think that they all just, everything just sort of died. Like, I don't think, I've certainly been on writing staffs where the the script we wrote was, the the piece of shit I wrote was not the piece of shit that got made. Uh-huh. Uh, but that, I, I don't know that I've ever been through that process where something has has changed so completely. Usually, it's, uh, my projects have have died long before it, it got uh, that far down the football field, so. When I went to work on staff, yeah. you actually ruined Dom and I in a certain way and set us back in our ability to um, uh, effectively be good staff members for a little while because we wrote our first script mm-hmm. for Alan Gregory. Yeah, And I feel that I can brag about this because the show was so roundly rejected by the public, uh-huh. like that it was not a successful thing <laughs> no, no, to no. be, to have excelled at. But we did turn in our script and you said to us, I've never done this before. We're going to send your writer's draft to table read without doing like a rewrite of it. Oh my God. I don't even remember that. That was crazy. That was so stupid of me. And we, (laughs) and we went and you were just like, you guys nailed it. Oh wow. And we felt so good. And then everything we ever did afterwards obviously was right. drastically rewritten yeah, and right. noted to He's death, death. Yeah. and we were just like oh we got destroyed <laughs> by like the very first because like it was harder yeah, to sure. take notes and yeah. get rewrites having yeah, been yeah. like well if you really work hard on your draft yeah. they'll just be like this is it like it, it almost went right. to recording with like not not a lot of change obviously there was a room rewrite 
but right. it was you know also i guess a credit to the story being broken really effectively the outline got done well i think you also you guys had the voice of the show i think that was one of the other like maybe what ruined it too is that you you guys and jared and andy connected creatively in this way that was really unique it was yeah it was hard to adjust to right. going to rooms where our voice did not align so, so directly so with so the directly. people who created yeah, it yeah. where it was like oh we all would have right been working together you know like right, if, right. if we just met on the street yeah. it's like we just vibed and that um that's not always the case and a lot yeah. of the job is figuring out what your showrunner likes yeah that is even when it's not what you like right. and trying to well that, that happened on my first job too my partner and i started on golden girls and our first episode except for one scene which one other writer rewrote the whole script was ours. There mm -hmm. were a couple of jokes changed, but that episode of Golden Girls, 90% of it, my partner and I wrote. And um, this is like how it's going to be. And then the showrunners changed. Uh, we were hired in the fourth season. The showrunners left at the end of the fourth season. New showrunners came in, and I think both of us were like, well, we know how to do this. Yeah. And we didn't know, we didn't know how to do it. We didn't know how to you adjust to lucky. a new showrunner. He was an asshole, so I'll say that. Yeah. But <laughs> that that the combination of us not knowing how to adjust to a new showrunner and his difficulty with us, uh, we got fired. And uh, yeah. that's uh, that's also very sort of what you're talking about. You need to, it's not just your talent and your hard work. You also need to work with people. You need to figure out how to work with people. Yes, yes. Yeah. And and it takes some learning when you're like when you've been working independently, when yeah. you're a writer, you work by yourself right. and then you get in that collaborative position. Right. And like I'll speak for Dom a little bit because he had had so much success with like um this was my perception of him anyway that he had like a YouTube like sketch right. group and had financed his own independent film that like he hadn't really had a boss. Like even yeah. I at right. least when I was doing sketch stuff at the theater there was a director right. who gave notes, so I was like right used to having to adjust somewhat but when you haven't had to adjust your stuff yeah and you're just being told like no not what you think is funny yeah this other thing you don't think is funny yeah, is yeah. going in this yeah, 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 yeah and then you know i'm used to it now but like and i'll give this as a little piece of of writer advice as i talk to my first showrunner i do maybe repeat this too much but when i meet with a showrunner i'll say I want you to know that I understand that I am not there to write my show. <laughs> I am not there to write my version of your show. Right. I am there to help you write your show, <laughs> which was a big yeah. adjustment right. for me to be like, okay, right. I want to do it. It's right. their idea, but I want to do right. it the way right. I like. I, I am remembering though, another way in which you got lucky was... I am aware of my insecurity about putting bad stuff in a script. So you guys were ridiculously honest with me about things that I pitched to the point of saying, oh, oh, you think that's funny? <laughs> oh, and I'm like the boss and, and it's like, oh, oh, we're putting that in the script? Like you would, and I, and I just folded. I would all be like, all right, well, 
Uh, no, you're not allowed not. to do that. That was a big problem and, for and us that, as and well. That, and that, you were lucky that that was me because to me, I'm like, oh, oh well, these guys are really funny. And if they think. Insanely you know, lucky to have and, you as a showrunner. Right. And, and, and I'll say that. Because I could have said, fuck you, it's going in. And I didn't do that. No, you didn't. But also, like, you were very good at managing because the right. guys who created the show were. Right very particular and a little difficult and, I think, and, and I that think, position i've seen that collaboration go badly well i think that again if i have one talent is we'll be able to work help somebody what you're saying help somebody do their show. help someone make their show right, yeah right. yeah we'll go further into the movie yeah. right um, let's do that yeah this is the scene now where uh, before he leaves now that she knows he's a writer this actress is like I've been working on a script. She has this pile of like right. handwritten. He describes her handwriting yeah. as childish and voiceover um, handwritten stuff that she's like, I've been working on this movie. He says, you have enough material here for six movies. It's like way too long. It's classic. Somebody who's never written a script before right. kind of thing where it's either like too long or too short where it's like you can't. It's yeah. not random what the page. Yeah, right, is. Right. Like, you actually have to have a target. And she asks him to read like her favorite scene. And then he sits down in a chair and reads what she's written uh, in front of her. And I don't know about you when I watch that, like being on either side of that right. exchange yeah. is a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Like anytime somebody's reading your stuff in front of you, it's like the, you know, there's a little chuckle and it's like, what part did you like? Like, did you, <laughs> you like something? Yeah. Or it's like, where are you right now? Yeah, right. Uh, and you can't not be annoying. Yeah. And when you're reading someone's thing, it's like, I should find a place to chuckle. Like, I, right, right, right. Like, <laughs> well, I think also what really, there was a couple of things. It's got my favorite line, mm -hmm. which is, was he starts to read it. It's, it's the line is, Sometimes it's interesting to see just how bad bad writing can be. Yeah. <laughs> and that to me, like that, that that's just that's just such a great line because I, I agree with it completely. I uh, both love bad writing and hate it, you know, like when you're reading someone's script and it's bad and you yeah. you know, a lot of people give me a lot of people who aren't in the business ask me to read sure. their things and I and I takes me forever to get to them and then you're reading it and it's like this is so bad um but then also it captures the emotion like he his voiceover is talking about desperate for so I don't remember the exact line but desperate for me to like her he she wants me to like her script tell yes. me that and that also like capturing that real emotion of like the writer and the reader of like you all you, you want can feel what they feel and that yeah right all you want when you give someone a script all you want is for them to say it's brilliant yeah that's all you want you don't yeah. want you don't want notes you don't want you if you're if you're smart you're open to them when they you get them yeah and you listen but you don't want them uh no you don't want them <laughs> and yeah i've that's another thing i've had to develop over a long period of time yeah. of like being able to not just right. instantly be defensive yes because i'm always like but this is why it's like that <laughs> it's like it's, yeah. it's not random i yeah, actually right. like thought about why it's like that's like right. yeah but i don't like it so i know that people do talk about a lot like getting sent like you know like they're aunt's friend's right. kid yep. being like they have a script and then yeah, you have yeah. to read these scripts from right. people who aren't in the industry um have you ever had an experience of being like very pleasantly surprised by someone's script well i've been surprised by ideas like i i think i don't know that i've ever no that's not true um uh, I, i'm remembering now this one um writer asked me to read 
his uh, daughter's script, and uh, I begrudgingly, I said yes. He, he's a sweet guy, good friend, and I'm like, okay. And I read it, and I was like, oh my god, this is really good. Yeah. Like so that that has happened. Now now she's the daughter of a writer, yeah. so there 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 might have been there. I've also there's been. I remember at our kids' school, my wife had met this writer, and she was. Uh, gonna introduce us and she said oh he has a really good idea for an animated show and i'm like oh really and she, and when he's like oh i mean you don't have to do it i mean just you know yeah. I mean, just live and this writer pitches me this animated show and it's a great idea yeah like it's oh my god that's such a good idea now again he was a writer he's professional yeah very successful writer actually so the fact that he wanted it like he was looking for something he just never never worked in animation yeah. and he had a great idea and we pitched it, and we got Owen Wilson attached, and couldn't sell it. It's on TV uh, today. What's that? Uh, it's on TV today. No, no, I couldn't uh, sell it. Uh, <laughs> I, I had when I worked at Workaholics, there was a like writer's PA. Yeah. It was like an assistant, right. at, Who was like a very nice, soft-spoken guy. Right. Um, kid named Nate, who I just like thought of as like the right. kid who like right. you, sometimes he gets your lunch wrong, but you're not mad. Yeah. And he's like, uh, you know, just. Um, he was from Chicago, but weirdly had this like Boomhauer type. Story. He'd be like, "Hey, man, like, hi, I'm Nate." <laughs> and one day it was like, "Would you read my script?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And he sent it, and I read it, and it was like, and "We're working on workaholics," right. and it was like this hour long drama about like the underground world of like Golden Gloves boxing, mm -hmm. which I guess he had like trained it, and I was like. I'm reading the fucking wire. Wow. Like the depth wow. of the characters wow. and the like I was like this is yeah. out yeah, of yeah. control and right. it was just so funny where we would we've all joked about it later because we've all since read we were like the best writer on that staff was bringing <laughs> us out. like he was right. he was the most talented yeah, yeah. at like crafting like yeah. drama and narrative right. and everything and was it was really like I remember actually shocking. You, there was that that when we were doing that other show, Murder Police, which never aired, I asked you guys to read um, the writer's assistants. Um, Their spec, because they had done a Flight of the Concords. Flight of the Concords. And you read it, and you both said this would have been the best Flight of the Concords episode. Like, it was you, good. It was a very good spec. He's yeah. a, a really, and he ended up being a great writer. Mm -hmm. But I was like, uh, if, coming from you guys, I was like, wait, what? Are you being, is this a bit? No, no, it's really good. It's really good. <laughs> Every now and then, you have to dole out compliments very <laughs> well, the, sparingly very for them sparingly. to have impact. Yes, yeah. So anyway, he reads the script. They yeah. roll in champagne and caviar while he reads. Um, this is back when you could get good lunches in your writer's room. Um, uh, <laughs> then he names his price for what he's going to like charge to... Um, uh, she, she, right. I think she offers him $500 a week or something or he says, or he, he says, says his my, rate is $500, $500 a week. And she says, well, that we don't have to worry about money. Yes. Uh, so this is a real thing. You can overcharge celebrities. They don't know right. what things cost. Um, when I lived in New York, my friend, uh, walked dogs for a very famous yes, person yes. and he, um, got me in on the job and I believe he went in and the, told the guy or the guy wanted three hour long walks a day and he said that it was fifty dollars an hour for the walk so then he gave me his weekends because the guy wanted right. it seven days a week and so i was like that was like part of how i survived in new york was i was my weekends were gone right. because i had to just be on call <laughs> like in the dog. west village to walk this dog right. three at three different times yeah. but 
I was getting three hundred dollars cash. Like, and it was like, this is not what dog walkers. <laughs> no, no, no. But he just said it, and they no, were no, like, yeah, okay, sure, fine. Like, uh, and so um, that well, is great. Oh, actually, wait. So the the I want to just go back because I think that. There are a lot of ideas for movies pitched in this movie, like movies within movies. Yes. The only good idea is the one Norma Desmond pitches, I think, that she says it's about Salome. She's yeah. in love with a holy man. He rejects her. So she has, aside from this bit of foreshadowing, she kisses his sever, has a severed head on a golden platter mm -hmm. and kisses his cold, dead lips. Like, that's the only idea that's like- It's a very visceral. Yeah. She can see it. She, she knows can, what- and it's, and it's like the, I think it's the one- Good idea. What I would call a good idea, like I, I, they would, they'll love it in Pomona. Is is his response? Yeah, and it's not a movie that would have been made then. That to me is like really interesting. Like her, she really does have this kind of vision, yeah. as opposed to every other idea that gets floated in this movie. They're terrible. I feel like right. Yes, I I agree. Um, here's yeah. another thing. She exclusively watches her own movies. This yes. reminded me of you. Watch it. <laughs> you only watch your family guy. I've episodes. actually I've actually said I said this to my wife the other day. I said, you know, I've been on enough podcasts now that when I want to listen to a podcast, I can listen to the one I was on. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> and now, you know, yeah, here's another, it, one. another one for and I want to listen to a podcast. Books. I'll listen to myself. Yeah, listen to yourself talk about uh, It's not cool true that I only watch my own family episodes. <laughs> I just wanna I feel a need to deny that. Do you watch uh, episodes of shows you work on? Like when you work on a show, do you do you make it a point to watch it? uh or oh yeah are you absolutely sometimes, yeah no i mean sometimes some after a period of time no i always do if i'm if i'm do you still watch family guy i i don't watch it much now i do go back and sometimes watch episodes that i worked on or i was part of mm -hmm. and i'm kind of surprised like at how, what's that that's like her just like her yeah and i'll go back and be surprised at what i've forgotten like it's like oh oh i forgot we did that oh that's funny yeah I try to, but I do sometimes just like mm -hmm. at a certain point, if a show, depending on how the experience right. of the show was, I'll yes. just be like, I can't yeah. relive this again. Especially if it's like the show like right. is bombing. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be like, I'm going to watch them all now. Yeah. Like nobody else did. Yeah. Um, so uh, <laughs> here's like my favorite delivery of anything in any movie right. when she's watching the old movie yeah. and she's saying like, these movies now with this dialogue, we didn't need dialogue. We had faces. You know, and she makes this fucking insane face. But what's so great about that shot? There's a great. It's a great shot too because yeah. we had faces back then, and you're in the shot with William Holden, and he's holding a cigarette. Yeah, and he looks great. Yeah, and it's like they we had faces. They don't have faces now. And here's a current star. Yeah, and he's it's he's all face. Yeah, <laughs> like it's like he's just got that. It, face. Yeah, I thought I I felt like it was like intentional. Although William Holden, I guess, was still his career wasn't hadn't he hadn't become a big movie star or had been, he'd been around, but it hadn't quite broken. Yeah, no, he was but, like their fifth choice. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. But uh, well, I thought that was. And then she stands up. I'll be back on that screen. You know, but that. she's saying also we had faces, not just that our faces looked good. Right. Although I do like that she in 1950s being yeah. like the beauty standard has yeah, like yeah. fallen apart. Yeah. But I think she's also saying like we could tell you information with our face. Yes. So effectively yes. that you didn't need you didn't right. need any words. It was interesting. Um, interesting little trivia about the movie they're watching. Did it's you, a real old Gloria Swanson. Movie. Not only that, directed by Eric von Stroheim. Who plays Max, the butler. Her, her butler. And it had never been seen in the United States. Yes. But it, that, I thought, was such a great, like, you know, deep dive of, like, 
the guy who's showing the movie playing the butler who's playing this director who used to be the meta guy. layers yeah. are like Amazing. again must have been totally groundbreaking yeah like for right. it to be like oh all this stuff she really is what she's saying she yeah. is and he really like and he and she, cecil b demille playing himself like all that stuff yeah and she like, fired eric von stroheim from that movie oh wow like and they recut the ending because she was upset i guess that her character is running a brothel at the end of the movie and she thought it was a dance hall in the script, but then it's clearly a brothel when they shoot it. So oh, they ended cool. up cutting and he got fired and they hired another director to finish the movie. It was wow. fa fascinating stuff. And here they are. Playing. Yeah. They're in the room, yeah, right. you know, watching this thing that was a part of their real lives. Yeah. It's um, kind of and crazy. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, so she takes him into town for a makeover. Mm -hmm. Um, she, she, uh, Joe uh, Gillis gets the fucking glow up. I have a question for you because she's going, you know, you can't like your right. like suits too big and like you yeah, look yeah. like shit and like I'm going to get you tailored yeah. suits. And he's he's at every turn being like, I can't accept this. Right. Like I don't want to. He doesn't want to be further entangled with yes. her. Um, but she keeps trying to give him gifts. Do you have an opinion <laughs> on writer's room clothing styles <laughs> and like a writer like dress and i'll tell you why i asked because i had at, in my career i've had two separate entities actually both of whom you know one matt rice <laughs> an agent yeah two goldie yeah suggest to me that i go buy like more like well-fitted button-down shirts like they were just like you need to dress basically better to be taken more seriously by the executives like if you want to get an overall or something mm. someday you need to start dressing in a more formal way and i thought just like i thought showbiz had perks i thought i made it i got the job where i don't have to dress up nice right that was how i felt yeah but then i think what one of them told me was all the people you work for do have to dress up mm -hmm. and so you not doing that is like an affront. Like they still have to do it. So they resent you if you're just like in a sloppy t-shirt and jeans all the time. Mm. I was like, I'm a cool writer. So like I can like be dressed <laughs> like creatively, yeah. uh, just which meant comfortable. But I, to me, I guess the way I sort of looked at it was I, I looked at it the way you did. But then as I got older, I realized I did have sort of an advantage going into some meetings because I was an older person by dressing slightly older, by wearing a button-down shirt, by wearing shoes to meetings as opposed to sneakers. Mm -hmm. um, a writer had given me advice of if you go in and you're sort of more grown up and mature, there's a way in which they're they're looking to you for You help. can be the boss. You can you, be in right. charge. Yes. Like you can, because right. ultimately you're aiming for a management yes. position. Right. And so it's like, they might say like, well, maybe this guy's a funny writer yeah. about me, but they don't want me to be at the head of the table. Right. And- and managing yeah. because like it's like well this is this guy dresses like yeah. a kid right um, i think that i think there is there may be some truth to what goldie and matt said honestly i i don't but i don't know i i, I should have i should have gotten that advice too but i i well i found I, out by not doing it that they were right they were, <laughs> <laughs> maybe i did too i uh but uh, uh but the, talking about like that thing about being further entangled sort of gets to what i think mm -hmm. to me is my interpretation of this movie which i've looked for i've looked to see if anybody else has this thought that this movie is a uh, Gloria Swanson's character 
is Hollywood. That that she this is a metaphor for Hollywood's being a, offering you all these baubles. Baubles, but and it's never you're never really getting to do what you, exactly you want to be doing, mm-hmm. but you can be you'll be a success and you'll have nice clothes and you'll and have all the toys you'll, you'll have, have a solid gold right, cigarette case yeah. and you'll be dressed nice and people right. go wow look at you right. you're fancy right but you'll be trapped in a situation that and, is not and, and i feel like that metaphor carries out through the movie that like you're you're basically this this gigolo in some way that's basically what yeah. is the thing you're not actually be doing anything artistic and that almost everybody in the movie including the the well we'll get to her later every everybody has that attitude of i want to i want to sell out david this is your smart thought it is this is a really smart thought i'm okay. taking it too i love it <laughs> that is right that feels very right to me that you're being presented with all this like enticing fancy right. these like riches but also he's he's got all this stuff but he never has money Right. He's broke. He's broke. Like he can't get money. Right. He gets all the like perks right. and the appearance of success. Right. right. But he has no autonomy. Yeah. He can never like just go out and do his own thing. Right. And he's not and he's not creatively fulfilled. Yeah. So it really holds up. So then um he gets rained out of his room. He gets right. moved into the house. Uh, the actress is clearly falling in love with him. We know something's wrong right there. Actress isn't gonna <laughs> fall in love with a writer. She and then um the, he has, uh, there's a funny thing to me, which is the reader who trashed his, uh, his project yeah. kind of corners him and says like, I felt so bad. I went and read your old stuff right. and I found this one and, uh, he's like, Oh, did you like it? And she's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> but there's a moment in the flashback scene right. that I think is really good. There's like a teacher character yeah. that could right. be really good. And so there's something running, there's a thread running through this where the the path not taken or the like call to creativity that he's denying, yeah. that it, he's like shut off to be with Gloria Swanson is that a development person, <laughs> a development executive yeah. wants to co-write yeah. something with him based on one character from a flashback <laughs> from a treatment that he has. And I say, stay in the big house. <laughs> I don't know. Like, right. it's like, it's just funny the way it plays out where it's like, that's not the most appealing offer no. necessarily to right. have someone go. I've done a lot of work on my idea yeah, based yeah. on some small part of your idea. And why don't you come co-write right. it with me? Right. It winds up being a more effective collaboration, <laughs> but on its well, face but, that is i see why he turns it down but also i again down the road of like i i think she's a bad writer too like we think it's an effective collaboration but i think every every piece of evidence we have in the movie is they have a terrible idea they're working on like yes. like, like that's the other well the she other says piece. it's half sold shell drake likes it shell drake, drake likes the teacher she likes idea. the idea but i have to do it with you and uh, and then and then later she's she's pitching her idea of the teacher movie. It's like the threadbare lives, the, the struggles they have teachers and their struggles. And then she starts pitching. They share an apartment and never see each other. And I'm like, Oh Jesus. And then he pitches his click gimmick is they share the same bed and never see each other. And then she said, that's 
good. And it's like, here's two bad writers. Yes, yes. Well, that, 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 but she doesn't say that's good. This is a very important moment in the oh, yeah. movie for me. He says like, all right, he works the day shift. She works the night right. shift. They share the same apartment, but they're never in contact. They're even in the same bed. And she goes, are you kidding? Because I think that's good. And he goes, so do I. And this, my entire career is based on... <laughs> Are you pitching kidding? an idea yeah, right. in a way where you can distance yourself if <laughs> right. it doesn't go don't like it. where it's right. like, just like, are you kidding? It's like, no, you have to be able to claim like, no, I'm fucking joking. Yeah, I right. think they sleep in the same bed the day. Should, that wouldn't work. Logically, it doesn't work, but you need to stay in a tone at all times yeah. where if people love it. You go like, yeah, of course, it's my idea. Right. <laughs> but then if they go like, that's so stupid, you go like, yeah, I'm fucking kidding, dude. Yeah, that was like, my whole problem working with you. Yes. Never knowing when you were kidding. Everyone interacting with me all the time has this problem. Say, we talk about a lot. The, yeah. <laughs> the sincerity is never present. In a way that yeah. you can pin down. No, it's it's very it's very annoying. It's, I, uh, <laughs> I <laughs> you love it. I, I mean, I, I hey, you hired I, me again. I, I, bitch. I seek it out. I I, I, I clearly Show seek never it out. Today, but. Uh, it's fine. It was your magic touch. Yeah, yeah. I uh, but uh, <laughs> I but that that to me is like the other thing too of like Betty like they're all working nights on this on this idea and you know the the idea that sort of you feel like oh they're they're he's finally getting to be an artist but it's like every idea we've heard is terrible yeah. uh and and that that also i feel like speaks to the the cynicism of the movie it's funny i don't i didn't have that uh interpretation not that i was like i love these ideas right. but i did think it was like here's the path you could be take like you yeah. you could starve and chase the dream and like go for this thing yeah, but yeah. the comfort and the spoils yes, of right um you know these the right. this luxury that yeah. you're offered uh to compromise your yeah. artistic integrity is a trap he's yeah. got the golden handcuffs and yes. if he would take them off he could actually make a movie that might be right. good right he's found someone that believes in him i assumed that was the story it makes it complicated yes. if it's right if that movie actually sucks then it's like <laughs> well then who cares yeah, everything right. nothing means anything no and i think, you're, like I think your, your inter interpretation is correct I, I i seen the movie a number of times and i'm looking for more things that may not be there uh but i i think what and it definitely also speaks to the reality of hollywood you're, you're never doing the thing you want to do Yes. Like that's another piece of this movie that I think is so true. That there is always an idea that you're like, if I had more time, I would do right. this. And I think yes. this could be really yes. good. Right. But you can't because you're you're working on the thing that actually is paying you money. Right. And you're like, oh, and but I did talk to someone recently who was, they were like, if everything would just shut down, I could write my masterpiece. <laughs> and then they were like, and then COVID <laughs> happens for two years and yeah. I do nothing. Right. And then it's like, well, I wouldn't waste that opportunity again. And then the strike happens. <laughs> it's like yeah. masterpiece forthcoming. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> so I, yeah. there is like a little bit of a comfort in like having the right. uh, job that you're like, right. uh, well, I'm I'm working on this, so I can't be a genius. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, when when he has that first conversation with with Betty, it's so interesting to me is that he is getting away from he, you know it, it's a point in the movie where he's escaped from norma he's leaving uh -huh. he's gonna move in with his buddy Artie and just sleep on his couch mm -hmm. reconnects with betty finds out betty is his friend Artie's girlfriend and within 
seconds he's hitting on her. Well, yes. So let me, so actually (laughs) that's important. I did want to talk about that scene. I want to back up to it's New Year's Eve. Right. She's throwing this gala, Gloria Swanson, and and he's like gotten dressed up and then no one comes and he's alone with her on New Year's Eve. Right. And she's just getting more and more drunk. Yeah. And this is like one of my favorite moments of the movie where I, I believe this is right where she's like offering him to like do other things. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and he's like, well, we can't, you know, right. you can't just like keep like, she gives him the cigarette case, yeah. the gold cigarette case. And he's like, I can't accept this. Yeah. And she goes, shut up. I'm rich. <laughs> <laughs> and I sent you an image of that. And I said, big David Zaslav energy. <laughs> um, uh, um, and then she goes, I'm richer than all this new Hollywood trash. <laughs> I fucking love it. She's smoking her cigarette and it's just like such a great attitude. She's like, I got into this business when there was, when it was good. And I think there's always this feeling, right? Of like the door, like the door just closed. Yes. Like I just, like, I just missed it. I just missed the fucking gravy train. I just missed it. And like, I came in by the way. And it's funny because I talk about like, right the amount of money that I actually was taking home on Alan Gregory. Right. But I also have talked about on Alan Gregory, we made seven episodes. And yeah. I think it worked 30 or 40 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was like a real job yeah, that like right. covered my entire year of right. life and then led to another job. Right. And now people going in their first job is they're probably making a similar amount and they only get 12 weeks. Right. And then they don't immediately get another right. job. And so it's like, but when I started working, it was like, Oh God, if you had started working eight years ago, Right. Oh, the that residuals was and like that, that was, yeah, you know, and right. it's like, and so there is like a little bit of a message here of like when she worked, you could really make money. Exactly like, right. It's the same thing. We're all, we all missed it. We all always, everybody missed it. Yeah. always. Well, missed that was the it. thing too. Like that, that I'm oh, actually, I was there when it was happening, but I didn't get the, 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 the giant overall deals that happened in the nineties. Like yeah. I, I didn't get one of those. Like, but I know all these people who did and are now set for life. You know, it's yeah. like, you always just, miss it but she's she's talking about you know how she's how how she's rich and then um he gets like so uh freaked out basically by like realizing how trapped he is in this situation that he's like i've got to be around people my own age like i've got to get out of here it's funny you don't she's like 21 years older than him in the movie or something like that like she's no she's 18 years older than right uh, the two actors, but they don't look that different. In no, age. <laughs> no. Well, that's the thing too. Young and he's thirty, early thirties. He's thirty three, and, and she's fifty one, and yeah. he looks like he's fifty. Like that's like I know, nineteen fifties. Yeah. But well, yeah. yeah, people looked old. Yeah. Well, there's also this great shot uh, where they're on the couch. She's talking about her oil wells. Yes. And pumping, pumping. You see her leg going up and down. Yeah. <laughs> it's very suggestive. It's very and, erotic. Uh, yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't think it was erotic. Incredibly was erotic. <laughs> The eroticism of Sunset Boulevard. By David Goodman. What? All right. Well, you had said you wanted to carve out a like ten minutes of the podcast to just talk about all the sexual that, imagery. That was yes, that, that yes, that is what I said. Yeah. You said like when the when the rain comes through the roof, the bed's all wet, and you said made me think of when my bed's all wet. <laughs> wow. Wow. Gone. Uh, all right yeah i mean i was like i was like save it for the show these were all texts i was getting they, they were like videos they were face <laughs> you talking to me um i do i deny the bit do i try to do i 
why so why yes and yes and I can't yes and that for some reason. King of the Writers Guild doesn't know how to handle it. Doesn't know how to improvise. Not an improviser. Not like Sean. Uh, anyway, where are we? All right, so do you um, know who the friend Artie so, is, right? Do you know who Artie is? Yes. Oh, oh no. Um, he's an he's an AD. What? Uh, no, like his the actor is this guy named Jack Webb, uh-huh. who would go on to create Dragnet, and 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 he's like playing this role that's so different from this on screen person. Anyway, so oh yeah, interest, of interest. I knew the name Jack Webb, yeah. and I like recognized it yeah. from old stuff, right, but I right. didn't have a direct association. Yeah, yeah. Um. But he's because he's a writer too. Like he wrote all those. You know, anyway. Yeah. Anyway. So he's a writer, but he's playing an assistant director. Yeah. <laughs> um. And uh. And he's yes. And so he's engaged to the reader. Yeah. Um. Uh. Betty. Betty's like, I want to talk to you about an idea, and starts pulling him into the bathroom. Yeah. And then Artie immediately goes like, Hey, man! Like I didn't say you could take my girl. And she goes, no, 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 it's totally professional. And then they sit down on the edge of the bathtub and then they're like almost making out immediately. They're doing some bit. Right. I believe it's probably a reference. They're doing dialogue. Yeah. I didn't get it either, but yeah. Some old piece of media that we've forgotten. But this, I think is bad. This scene. Yes. I, I actually think it's like, and regardless of the fact that I don't know the stuff, yeah. I do think this is where this comes up. This idea comes up, I think in comedy rooms a lot. If you ever watch a clip of like an old sitcom or something, yeah. you go like, God, this job was easier back then. <laughs> like there are like shortcuts yeah, and we right. had at workaholics, yeah, we had right. the hackboard and the hackboard was, right. um, you know, jokes you weren't allowed to make where right. it was like, who are you? And what have you done with David Goodman? <laughs> <laughs> if you came in, you I'm were not like, even the studios go. are fair, and I would yeah. be like, "Who are you? And what have you done with David Goodman?" <laughs> um, uh, so, no, I, I know the bit. Oh, yeah. you felt like you so, knew yeah, I'm, the yeah. For someone behind, I guess that somebody character. might be listening to this. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. Uh, um, so, but those jokes, obviously, somebody did those jokes yes. for the first time. Yes, and so there's a lot of stuff in older things, like I reference, where you remind yourself. Oh, they were just coming up with this. Right. But this is a scene where I do think they're just taking a shortcut where they just go, we want these characters to have a yes. romantic like right. chemistry and involvement later. And we're not going to Build justify or, right. or, or lay the groundwork at all for them, for her to be like about to cheat on her boyfriend right. in his apartment in front of him two minutes after he's accused them yeah. of doing that. And for him to be trying to engage in it actively too, like they just didn't show the work enough right. for me. Right. And it was the only moment in the movie that I felt like really kind of rang false. Yeah, I uh, agree. I think it was only setting up the phone call. Like it's like, it's so showing. It needs psych- to be interrupting something for the phone right. call to be important. It has to be interrupting. Yes. Yeah. And, and this idea that, Oh, he, he's going, he's around people his own age. It's fun. Yeah. He's flirting with this uh, pretty woman, a young girl. And, and it's like, everything's starting to look good and he has a line that says that he says you know life can be beautiful or something yeah right before he leaves the bathroom to go call and find out that gloria swanson's character is yes and i think that is what it is and i think that is right. an effective turn and i just right. think they didn't need to be like pantomiming making out yeah in order for right. that to play that he was like having a, a well they could they was like they they could have found a real moment between the two and instead they just played you know 
Yeah, they yeah, yeah they right. played at it. So um, Billy Wilder sucks. I'm good. I'm smart. <laughs> um, uh, so, <laughs> so then um, basically uh, we've kind of talked a little bit about beyond this, but there's a moment for me when Norma, who sort of is an actress who fancies herself a writer, yeah. becomes a real writer. Do you want to know what I think the moment is? Do you have a guess? Wait, say that, say that question. There's a mo So Norma Desmond right. has like tried to write the script and now she's collaborating with yeah, this writer. Right. But she's an actress. Yes. But then there's a moment in the movie where I say she now has become, officially become a writer <laughs> to me. And you said she pitches this very visceral yeah, moment. Yeah. Like she has some writing in her bones, okay. but she becomes a writer. You want to know what the moment is? Me, tell me what the moment is. <laughs> she believes that she is getting a phone call from an executive about a script, <laughs> but they actually want to borrow her car. <laughs> so That's like, the, that is the, the head of Paramount right. or whatever is right. calling. And it's because they have a production that like, right. they'd like to use her car in the scene. Right. She has a fancy old car. Right. And she's like, with just hears who called yeah. and drives the studio of like, they want to make my movie. Right, totally. And that, so right. I do think that there are so many times when you are waiting on an important piece of news, you have like a script that's gone out or right. a pitch that's out, and you get a phone call from a representative or from someone who works at a studio, right. and you go like, this is the call. Right. And it. then you answer, and they're just like, yeah, what do you think about the Clippers signing John Wall? <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> I don't, I follow, don't fucking yeah. care, I don't dude. I don't like, follow sports. You know, I'm waiting on this. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that that uh, that's and and her anger that she has his anger. I'm a big shot, and Cecil B. DeMille didn't call me himself. She had he had some flunky, right? That also is very real. Of like you 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 realize this. Uh, I'm having a meeting with with somebody who isn't at my level, like people do have that kind of reaction too. Like, totally, you, you, yeah. And of the, you just have to like, I'm going to swallow this disrespect because I need the job, but it's not disrespect. This is, this is the business. Well, that's all. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. Like there's a right. hierarchy and there's like the known name yeah, for things. Right. And that's also with, I mean, with representatives where it's people, people want to be represented by like the partner. Right, and it's right. like, you want to be represented <laughs> by who will work for exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. They need to <laughs> they, like they, you. They, right. And same with the studio. You want to hear the person who actually likes your script right. and like wants to see it get made. Yeah, no, I, you don't I, want to talk to their boss who hasn't no. read it yet just right. to talk to the boss. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, but yes, that is what happens. And she does shoot herself in the foot because she drives to the studio without right. knowing what it is. Cecil B. DeMille like bends over backwards to protect her ego. Yeah. He gives you, you know, he legitimizes her yes, because totally. you've only met her as this crazy person, right. who you know, was in the movies right. and he's, you know, somebody says like, isn't she like a total crack up or like, I thought she was dead. Right. And he's like, you didn't meet her. When she was 16, right. she had more vim and vigor than anyone you'd ever seen in your life, like in her yeah. little finger. And it's like, yeah. she was one of the great stars. Right. And this guy who is a man, who right. was a director, right. Right. is still at the absolute peak of the industry. Yeah. And this ingenue, you know, right. actress turned 35 and nobody's fucking ever seen her again yeah, yeah. and so like i think that's part of the commentary too right yeah. like this guy still got the keys to the castle and also just like that he recognizes how this business destroyed this kid like yes. she was a kid yep and that the business destroyed her mm -hmm. which it also is a very common story 
uh, still to this day, still incredibly relevant, how the business destroys people. Yeah. Uh, they, that, they that's why caught. I'm waiting to become successful. Yeah, so you can be destroyed. No, 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 no. I oh. think when people get destroyed, <laughs> when people get famous at a yeah. young age, he's saying yes. that at like 16, yes. he was a movie star. Right, right. That it's very difficult to deal with that. Yes. And that it's, right. my your your actually to, goal is to wait till you're fifty. Or I've 60. had opportunities to be successful, right. obviously. And you're holding back. I'm so young, David. Got it. I don't know that I can handle that pressure. How, how young? Do you, you know what? It's like <laughs> I, I in this town we don't really talk numbers. All right, all right, all right. Uh, unless well, we're negotiating well, with the AMPTP. There we go. Brought it right back to the strike. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, that was beautiful. So. Uh, <laughs> She, everyone protects her. They yeah. don't let her know yeah. um, what's really going on. Cecil B. DeMille calls you. He's like, he's like, yeah, we'll get in. I'm filming this movie, but we'll make mer your movie afterwards. Yeah, right. As she's walking up, the script that Joe Gillis now has helped her right. rewrite, Cecil B. DeMille goes, she's probably coming to meet about that awful script. Right. So that does support your idea that, that maybe he's not talented. He's not a good writer. At, this great con there's a great thing in them talking about the script, she says, it's very good, isn't it? And he says, well, there are good things in it, which is still like, that's still a phrase. Executives, a lot of good stuff in here. Yes, <laughs> always. Yes, that's the headline. That's the headline. So much funny stuff so in here. So much good stuff. So much good stuff. We just got to look at, yeah. yeah. But uh, that, um, again, like the, 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 the movie was so true to that language and that. Absolutely. Yeah, that was that was true. And like um and we can't blame it all on Joe Gillis. She made him put back in every yeah. scene that he took out, which was really funny. Oh, that was a great line earlier when he's trying to cut the scene. She she's trying to cut the scene and so what are you doing? Cutting it? Yeah, it's better to cut to John the Baptist and <laughs> cut away from me. <laughs> and I just like he's throwing around John the Baptist like he's like a, a character. Yeah, he's yeah. gotta cut directly to John the yeah, Baptist. Yeah, we'll go straight to Peter from Lois. Yeah. <laughs> Same. So uh, they, this is now where the part of the movie starts where he is working at night in secret mm -hmm. with this other person. Right. Norma Desmond's very suspicious. He's like gone back to her after the New Year's party where um, he, when he had the flirtation and he was about to like embrace this life of poverty with right. his young friends, he gets a phone call that Norma Desmond attempted to kill herself. There's like a running thing in the movie where there are no locks on the doors because right. she has become like uh, suicidal. So he rushes back to her aid. He goes back into the golden handcuff situation that he's been in. He fully gives over to like being a gigolo briefly, but then starts like sneaking out to read the story, to write the story with Betty. They get stuck. They go on a story walk around the lot, which is like a thing <laughs> that still, still happens, still right? Happens, where the writer's room is stuck and it's like, let's right. just go on a walk. And everybody walks around and thinks and talks about the story in little like different uh, groupings. But they go, they're talking about the story. He gets a little bit of her backstory that she's like from a Hollywood family. She is a Nepo baby. Uh -huh. That's right. Betty is a <laughs> Nepo baby. Her grandmother was right. uh, an actress. Her family was in the business. She was supposed to be a great screen star, but her nose was crooked. She got her nose fixed. And then it turned out her acting was bad. <laughs> um, and she says that she's glad to be a reader and that she um, would rather uh, work behind the camera and uh, couldn't be me. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not. Um, There's another line. I, I don't remember. I wrote it down, but I couldn't remember where in the movie it is, but that, that also I really spoke feel like it was like Billy Wilder speaking a truth that writers still feel, which is like, 
uh, oh, he was talking about Betty, and he's and that she's like he'd he'd run into her, and she wanted to work with him, and she's like she wants you to get your name name up on the screen. Your your that's your drive to have your name up on the screen and then he has this line audiences don't know somebody sits down and writes a picture they think the actors make it up as they go along totally true yeah totally true that that's how audiences feel it's totally true that writers resent this like this is this line is about billy wilder and charles brackett the writers yeah resenting that resenting that that in their lives like the fact that they've written movies and then directed movies that, that no one cares no one cares that it's just like the right. actor who's saying the words gets credit yeah. as if they made, made up it, the words right, right. um and that still happens yeah. today yeah people have no idea they don't understand yeah. how the job works and they don't right. care because what they see is the person right. talking that's why the subtitles are on um, uh, but, oh. <laughs> um but yeah that is like the scene where he bumps into them at the drugstore and she's kind yes. of pushing him right, we, right, we right. gotta start i'll work nights i'll work right. mornings i'll do whatever you need right. i'll work around you i'll come to you and she's kind of like plants this seed and he has run into by norma desmond cigarettes because he's fully embraced his role of gigolo and right. she's out of cigarettes he's like well pull over i'll buy him for it. and she's like oh honey you're too good to me and then he sees his old young friends and the woman who he is more attracted to right. who wants to work with him right. and he's so rattled he forgets to buy the cigarettes and right. so even though he says no i think that was a cool thing that yes. plants the seed of like oh this is rattling around inside his brain right yeah. and he's like he can't stop thinking about right. it and so he starts sneaking out in the middle of the night she's suspicious of him she thinks this movie's gonna get made i know we've jumped around in the plot yeah, yeah, but like fine. give us who gives a fuck you're listening to hear david goodman um <laughs> you care about the movie so then basically we everything starts to come to a head where like she knows he's been sneaking out right. the um betty has fallen in love with him on the one of their story walks yeah. she like sh they've walked out on the balcony and she says like she can't go marry artie who is filming in Arizona. Another real thing about the industry, I think yeah, like yeah. if you're if you're dating or married to a crew member, they're right. always like out of town. Yeah, like, yeah, totally. She's like I don't want to go marry him there. Uh, there's and there's a little planting of he's not romantic, right? Because it's like it's only $2 to get married there <laughs> and we also will we can skip having a honeymoon because we'll already be in Arizona. Right, right. <laughs> um, so there's a little bit of like this guy uh is well, not also, there's what a she scene, wants. Uh, earlier scene too where they run into each other in the, the drugstore scene. She is so dismissive of Artie. Yeah. She actually tells him to shut up at some point. Like, yeah, stop with your stupid convenient. bits. Yeah. Stop with your stupid bits. I'm talking to the good looking writer yeah. who's going to change my life. Like, you know, it's very, she She's has a climber. A, yeah. She is. She, the, the, weirdly, she She's says that I want, I want this. I want, I want this. She's sort of supposed to be the pure right. person in the movie and where she, it's like, yeah. she's just like a hopeful, a younger Hollywood hopeful right. who like wants to be a writer and like yeah. believes in the creative side of it. But she's also a climber, like see someone who is more established, yeah. who has credits and wants to like take their idea and like co-own it. Yeah. And is an hippo baby and is cheating on her fiance. <laughs> right. Um, but she is his path out. Yeah. And so he says, like, I can't do this. Like, you take the script. Like, I'm fucking out. She tracks him down and goes to Norma Desmond's big old house. She walks in and he's like, 
basically like, haven't you wondered how I have these fancy clothes, how right. I have the gold cigarette? Like, you know, I don't make yes. money as a writer. Right. Like, this is what's going on. Like, this is the deal. This is my meal ticket. Right. This is what I've been up to. She says to him, just grab your stuff and come with me. Yeah. And he's like, what stuff? And he lists all the things that have yeah, been yeah. gifts to him. Yeah. And then he's like, do you need more clues? And she goes, I don't want clues. I've never been to this house. Yeah. <laughs> right. I've never seen this walk out right now yeah. and we forget it, which I thought was a really, I don't know. It felt like a cool forward thinking Solid. like line right. of just like right. in this very uh, well-crafted way, she's saying, I'm willing to forget this, but yeah. she's not saying that she's like, I've never been here. Yeah. I'm not here. Right. Let's just walk out the door. Right, right. And he drives her out and he's trying to be noble. Yes. He yes, does the favor to her right. of like, this is who I am. This is who you fell in love with. Right. I suck. I'm a fucking loser. Yeah. I'm a kept man. Like, save yourself yeah. and go marry this dude who's a real person because yeah. I'm fake. Right. And like, drives her out. Then in his like streak of nobility, uh, also wants to come clean to Norma Desmond right. about what the real arrangement is. Well, but the, the, you have something out there that I think is really important, Please. which is which is the reason Betty comes to the house is because Norma calls her. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, yes and yes. Norma calls her, and in that moment, and it's a phone call that that he Joe overhears. Yes, she is basically telling Betty he's a gigolo. Yeah, do you know how he lives? And in that moment, she reveals she does not love Joe Gillis. Yeah. That she she rec she she looks down on him. She she looks at him as he's a he's, he's a possession. A, he's a possession. He's a piece of scum. And again, that goes to my Hollywood metaphor. She's Hollywood. As a writer, <laughs> it's like we love can, you. We love you. We I love, love you as you. long as you're doing exactly we what we want. We love you. They're scum. They're and if awful. you if you go to do anything else, it's like I fucking own you. Everything you have, you have because of me. Right. And if you want to keep it, I suggest you do what I've been asking. Right. And you to she do. actually says that earlier on in the uh, movie, the New Year's party. He says, "By what right do you do you get to make these decisions for me? By what right do I have to explain it to you?" Yeah. And um, like she, that whole that's been the metaphor too of like you have to love me, but I don't have to love you. Yeah, we don't, and we don't have yeah. to talk about it. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to talk about how this actually works. Right, right. And, um, and here she goes to destroy this, this quote, pure relationship he has yeah. with a writer, with his artistic muse, I guess you could say. And she's saying, "No, you're, you can never leave the web." Kind of thing. Yes, yeah. And the phone is like, you know, great that there aren't cell phones in this movie. But the phone is very <laughs> important because people are always getting messages from yes. each other. And Max, the butler keeps like when she's calling for joe he's like joe's not here you're right. you can get no information here yeah stop calling and then finally she does get to talk to who lives in the house right. because norma calls her yeah and her roommates like that weird woman's on the phone again <laughs> and so he he overhears the phone call takes it away from norma desmond right. and says this is the address i'm at why don't you come see what's really going on yeah. and like see who you're in love with right and it's to be like get the fuck away from right. me. Like I'm radioactive. Yeah. Yeah. Then he goes in and is going to tell Norma, like he wants to, it's interesting because he's destroying that path. And he also wants to destroy his meal ticket. Right. Like he also is packing his original clothing that right. he came with and going like, I don't want to live in this scenario anymore. Like he's going to go back to Ohio. Yeah. Keeps threatening to move home. Right. Uh, also a, a big Hollywood thing. And I think of all yeah, that. Yeah, like, totally. Maybe I'll just go back home. Right. You know, did you ever have that moment of considering going home? No, no. Me neither. I mean, 
but I but I can't like yeah, yeah there was no there I couldn't go home that would have there's no but home. it was so interesting at the beginning part of the movie when he's like in his car and having that first thought before he ends up in the driveway he's having that conversation the failure conversation with the people back home in Dayton looking at me saying and I'll say to them well you try Hollywood like he's having this conversation which is also a very real you know, thing for so many people of like, oh, to admit failure, to admit that How are I couldn't you make explain? it. How am I going to explain this? When I, when I, what I did do is when I moved here from New York to mm. LA, I was on a week to week contract right. where they were like, every week we'll renew you or we won't. Right. And when I first came out, I didn't tell people in New York that I was moving to LA. Oh, wow. I like kept my apartment. I was, I didn't want anyone to have like right. a, going away yeah, right, for me right, right. at the New York UCB and be back two weeks later right, 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 and right. have and have failed. Yeah, yeah. And just like, so well, I was, was very like, smart. I can't let that anyone know. That was very know. smart. Because yeah, there are you plenty learned. of people who go all in <laughs> yeah. on like, I made it. And it's like, no. You learned, I, I learned <laughs> a lesson on my very first commercial I ever did that I like called people that I knew oh. in Connecticut and said, this is going to air during this wow. thing because I had been told like at this time during this thing. Now the commercial ran and I made money off it and it was right. it was great, but it didn't run during. I think it was like the Country Music Awards or something, <laughs> and they've been like, "We're premiering it during the CMAs." So I made all these people that I grew up with oh. watch the fucking CMAs, and oh, they never Jesus. played it. They oh, played Jesus. like a different ad from the same campaign, <laughs> and I was like, and other people were like. You never say never say you're in something until you've seen Did it. it. Right. Like never, never say you're right. working. You know, Let, you're making than, something till it's aired. Better people miss it than they. Yeah, they've tuned in you to didn't watch pitch something till you sold. And so the lesson is never enjoy anything. Never enjoy. Never anything. anticipate never, anything never, being never, good. Never. Just after it's done, right. go like okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So he goes in. He's like packing up his shit. He's gonna leave. She starts saying like, "What are you doing? Come back! Like, mm -hmm. uh, I, I love you. Like, I'll mm -hmm. I'll kill myself. I'll kill you. Whatever." He then lays out to her, "There's nothing tragic about being fifty, yes. not unless you try to be twenty-five, which is like he's just like you need to accept what your life is." The fact that you are trying to be what you used to be mm. is what's making you miserable. And I would say this is something so true in Hollywood across yeah. every level, yeah. not just about age. Everyone wants to be right. something that they're not. And that is what will keep you miserable. A lot of people have very good careers. Yeah. I've had a friend who was like such a great character actor right. and like a great like fifth on the call sheet yeah. person who could have like this amazing rich career right. like just like being somebody people love and things but it's like they want to be tom hanks like right. they want to be you know they want to be a lead in a romantic comedy they yeah. want to be and it's just like a character actor wants to be the lead the lead wants to be a superstar they want to be an action star yeah. like a writer wants to be a performer right. like no one is ever you know, a, a person who works on sitcoms wants to be in drama be, yeah, yes. and vice versa. Everybody yeah. thinks yeah. that they could be doing something cooler. Right. And it is why a lot of, a lot of people here are very unhappy who have right. a lot of things that yeah. they should be happy and satisfied with. No, it's, it's absolutely true. It's, and, and you, you don't even really realize, like I've been working for 35 years. That's a really long time. And and yet, I don't look and think I had a good. I mean, when I, it, 
quiet moments alone with myself, I don't look at my say, what a what a good career. I've done all these things. No, I think, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. I'm done or, or 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 I'm not getting to do exactly what what I want to be doing and that to me is like it's a, a very common thing it, yeah. and a terrible thing. Well, I've like I've I've made it. I'm a working <laughs> like I've worked on 12 right. different shows yeah. like I've done what I right. set out to do. I've written right. however many episodes of yeah. television right. like I've done this but you know, yeah, I'll be like only show I've worked on that people know the name of was Workaholics, which went off the air, right. you know, eight, eight years ago right. and only gets further away. Never sniffed being invited to an awards show to lose. Yeah. Like, and have all these peers who were like, you know, they're right. at the fucking Emmys. Yeah. And so it's like you, it's very hard. It's hard to live in gratitude yes. and say like, wow, right. I went to, get that job with you and i had not right. uh when i got alan gregory i cried in the parking lot yeah. that i was going to even be allowed to sit in a writer's right, room right. for that initial like 10 weeks yeah, that yeah. i got right and instead of feeling that way and going like wow that led to all these other things it's like but i didn't get this <laughs> i didn't get this other thing that i would right. very much like to have <laughs> And uh, why exactly? <laughs> why is that person? Why because that, yeah. people are right. being stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he is honest with her right. and does the one thing that you are not allowed to do, yeah. which is stop protecting a big star's ego <laughs> and, and be totally truth. honest. Right. Everyone is willing to lie. She knows she's lying to herself yeah. in a certain way. Right. The Max knows he's lying to her. Max is not who he says right, he is. He's right. a director who's pretending to be a butler to yeah, protect yeah, her. Right. Betty probably knows that like this money and clothes yeah, is yeah. coming from somewhere else. She's willing to say she's never been to the house and not right, look at it. Right. Everyone is willing to lie to themselves and keep the facade. Yeah. And as soon as he lifts the veil and says like, this is what the situation actually is. Yeah. I don't love you. You're paying for me and you're old. She fucking shoots him <laughs> and he dies. And she gets her wish. Yeah. In that she's back on the big screen mm -hmm. at the end of the movie, even though she's going to jail or whatever that, yeah. that the end shot of the movie is, you know, her coming down the stairs and they're filming and yeah they've set up the cameras the her butler who is right. a director who had directed her right. and 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 feels responsible for the fact that she got famous so young and got yeah, destroyed right. and is trying to keep the bubble around her maintains the bubble one last time as she's getting perp walked down yes. the stairs he's set up cameras and lights yeah and she does makeup and she's and she says and everyone quotes the line as i'm ready for my close-up mr demille yeah but it's the other way around isn't it oh i don't remember what, what she says, she says, all right, Mr. Mill, I'm ready all right, for my Mr. Mill, I'm ready for my oh, close-up. Interesting. Yeah, that. But the other, the other sort of line in there that that's that's very meta too, is she comes down the stairs. You're, this is the staircase to the palace. Oh yeah, okay. And she does her whatever she thinks the scene is, and then she stops. I just, I, I'm just so emotional to be back. You know, back making a movie again. And and then she she references. Uh, you know, all of you people working and, and all those wonderful people out in the dark and she's breaking the fourth wall. She's, yes, yeah, she's and, gesturing and, the people in and the theater. Yeah. I can, that's what I wish I'd had the experience of of getting to see that in a movie see, theater. Yeah, that would have been And incredible. having that moment where she's looking at wonderful people out in the dark. That must have gotten a laugh or something in that in that moment. Yeah, right down the were, barrel of the yeah, lens, yeah. just like her, yeah. Right, and then that incredible 
gothic, like scary ending of her crazy face. We're back to her face mm -hmm. and the and the insanity and that you're you're learning so much watching her close up as it fades yeah. out is also well, and they amazing. like gauze over her close yeah, up right. and make it like cloudy in the way that they do with older stars. Yeah, 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 <laughs> <laughs> or did at that time. But it was uh, it, it's a it's an um, it, there's a reason the moment is is parodied so much. It's, it's really good. Amazing. No, it, it was, yes, there were so many things that I thought like, well, this, I thought it, I would be a little bored watching yeah. this black and white movie from right. 1950 that set a lot of templates that I've, I assumed I'd seen improved on, right. but actually it was incredible, great movie in its own right. Have Loved you, it. did you, did you know even the narrative structure of the dead guy in the pool at the beginning when you started? I didn't it? know. I knew that it was about like a writer who got entangled right. with this starlet right. and sort of trapped in her uh -huh. insanity a little right. bit and um and i knew some of the famous lines right but, but so when I the movie know. opened that was a surprise to you that the main uh, character's dead in the pool. yeah i played it cool like i didn't scream <laughs> but i was i was i didn't freak out but well, yeah I, between you and me yeah i was fucking yeah, scared I, all right i did not think uh, dead people could talk I, to me uh, i did not like, wow wow you're really new to this yeah it's interesting that you you get to host a podcast talking about movies because it feels like you actually haven't seen that many well again i'm just this is primarily meant as inspiration for someone who should host a podcast oh about i see movies. interesting it's oh i see now my last question about it is <laughs> is there is this a, a writer specific thing at the end of the movie that happened to me that doesn't have the general public but one of my immediate thoughts when he gets killed is what happens to the script they had just finished a script <laughs> he had bet he had a workable script i thought that thing might oh, yeah. fucking sell uh, yeah <laughs> i think i think i probably got made I would love yeah. it if they actually made the the the, the teacher movie. That, now they that would be it. a Chiron, right? <laughs> right? That was like the teacher the movie, movie went on to be the highest grossing movie of 1952. Uh, but she didn't share credit with yeah. Joe Gillis. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> she didn't want to share the residuals. Uh, um, they, um, or didn't want to split salary. Any, but, uh, any other guild thoughts? Guild thoughts. Any, no. any other WGA strike stuff? I mean, I know, like, is there something as you, and I know you've, got a megaphone in a lot of places but some people will be listening to this who right. haven't heard you talk before is there something you feel Star is misunderstood about the labor action or misrepresented or that something you you know uh one of your talking points or something that you i, I think that to me i mean it, it, we, we've gotten for the first time a lot of really good press because yeah. i think that the people understand that it, it is about survival it is also in a, in a universe where we have now these these billionaires and we know how much money they make and they're and they're making more money one of them's making more money in a year than we're asking for three for, for the three-year contract yeah like those kinds of things i think help the struggle that the public doesn't need too much explaining but i do think it always sort of helps to understand that again the majority of the people working as writers in this business not only don't make a good living, they they don't even make a, subsist a, a subsistence living. They've got mm -hmm. to have second jobs. They've got to have yeah. they've got to have other things they they do. And that to me, again, a very common thing in labor in America, but in a business where people are making so much money from the work we create, we sh we shouldn't have to do that. And yeah. that that that's the main point that I think I think really do people have a sense. Because writing, 
does seem to be a, a career that you that you choose. That is, as opposed to working in a factory or or even being a salesman or whatever, where you're you're earning a living to make a living. Choosing to be a writer is a is a choice, and yeah, I mean, speak for yourself, man. <laughs> like, I wish I could if I could do anything, anything else. else. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's it, I mean, man. You have to do what you have to do. I, I, no, if but I don't I, get these puppies flying <laughs> on the keys, man. I'll be in a, a rubber room, uh, uh, straight jacket on. But uh, but <laughs> we are we are. I have to. I can't joke around. No, but, don't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I do feel on the other hand because we're working in this industry and they're making so much money off our work it's like well well pay us i think that i have a a, a slightly different distinction on that right. but i feel like there can be a um a little bit of well i'm trying to be a writer there's there can be a perception of someone going well i'm trying to be a writer and like i i'm not making enough to afford like the standard of living that right. i need or to right. be able to um feed my family or whatever yeah. it is uh, or keep my apartment right and that someone could say like, well, not everyone gets to be a writer. Yeah, like, you know, right. you chose, you know, you can't afford to live in LA. Yeah. Not everybody gets to live yeah, in LA. Right. And that is not the most unfair position in the world, maybe in a vacuum, but there is a point now where you go, but I did choose to be a writer and I am a writer <laughs> and I got the job and I'm right. doing the job right. and I still, still can't. can't be right. compensated enough in order to have these right. basic needs. And at that point, it's like, it's not just like, well, you're a dreamer. Yeah. It's like you're getting fucked, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I think that that is it. And I think that again, like I talk about the CEOs, and the CEOs make a lot of money, and they made they make an argument to their boards of directors that they're worth it, and that is all we're doing. Mm -hmm. All we're doing as collectively, we're Talking saying our board of directors, we, we're worth it. We're, we're, work, we're worth it. We're worth this. Look, we're, we're worth it because these companies make so much money off of our work. We're worth being paid more, a fair wage for what we're doing. Like that's, that's the, that's the argument. It, as long as they want to make stuff, as long as they want to hire us to make it and they are going to make so much money off it, we should, we should be paid. Like, you know, and yes, there is a, that thing you brought up of not everybody gets to be a writer and not everybody will be a writer. But, yeah, but those, no, but, but those, those people, those people who are in the guild right. who are working, yeah. that it should be able to be a career for them. Yes. Because once it, right becomes like a, you know, you just get a freelance script here and there and you have yeah. to have two other jobs and then, uh, you know, that'll be reflected in the quality and. Right. And that, then you're losing, you're losing that sort of uh, training ground because there's a, there's a way in which the, the things we've written have made these companies successful, but there's been this, this training ground that's gone on. That's allowed people to stay in the business state. I've been able to stay in the business for as long as I have because of the writer's guild. Because mm -hmm. during slow periods, I had some residuals carry me through, and I had my health insurance, and so that I could, I could wait it out and wait out to get to the next job. And I've done work that's been very profitable for the studios I've worked for. And so you want everybody to have that opportunity. Yeah. And when I started, you know, like I needed a training ground. My spec pilot was dog shit, I guess, according to you. <laughs> But now I, you I would, feel now, but now you no, feel that I'm I one of the more I, talented people you've worked with. I don't know that it was dog. <laughs> I don't know that it was dog shit. I just don't remember it. Yeah, I don't remember. But now it at you all. feel that I'm. Very, no, but I now you feel that I'm, I like. I have no memory of it. But my chop. But my chops now are at this point where you're like, holy shit! Like, <laughs> I'm not I, sure. I've actually I was the ever first one to see that. Yeah. Do you yeah, want to read yeah, a new? Yeah, spec? No, I, I constantly take. You want to read a new you. spec? I constantly take credit for you. 
You know that guy who does a podcast about movies? I gave him his first job. <laughs> I'd say more than that, I do three other podcasts people don't listen to. Mm, do you, will you do your famous moving on? <laughs> I, I can't do it on demand. It just comes out. Okay. Moving on. 